Radio in South Africa. It's time for The Long and Short of It with Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Hello there and welcome to another episode of The Long and the Short of It. No Dale Hayes, unfortunately, for this one. He's currently standing in as a stunt double for a hippo in the Umfalozi Game Reserve in KZN. <laughs> Dale, enjoy your time there. Don't eat too much. And yeah, we miss you, man. We love you, Dale. Well, that's a bit strong, but yes, we enjoy your company. <laughs> Dill, before we get on to what is definitely the hot topic in golf at the moment, tell us a bit about our lovely, lovely sponsors. Uh, yes, Simon. Uh, as usual, this episode of The Long and the Short of It brought to you by the Blair Athol Golf and Equestrian Estate, the ultimate and secure luxury estate living where lifestyle is a priority. Located just three kilometers from Lanseria Airport in Johannesburg, Blair Athol has it all. A world-class championship golf course, outstanding equestrian facilities, mountain bike and running trails, a diverse wildlife, helipads, tennis and squash courts, uh, a high-tech uh, fitness center, spa, uh, and restaurant facilities. On top of that, it's the perfect environment in which to raise a family with easy access to nearby schools and close proximity to the planned Lanserio Smart City. So why not visit BlairAthel.coza and take the first steps in creating your dream home. Come home to Blairathel an unparalleled living experience. Well, it's a very, very attractive offering out at Blairathel Dill which is not too dissimilar to what we're talking about on today's podcast. Well, there's no doubt that the biggest issue in world golf at the moment is all the chatter around the Live Golf Invitational Series, and it's thrown the world of golf upside down. And like I said, plenty of chatter all over the world, in the States, in Europe, here in South Africa, interested to know what the impact perhaps on South African golf and our South Africans who ply their trade both in Europe and the United States and our local events. The thing that struck me, Simon, is that there is so much chatter but not too much chatter directly from the players involved. When I say the players, not necessarily the officials and organisers, but I want to speak to the players directly involved, those who are in the live golf space. Well, you've come to the right spot, Dil, because on the line, <laughs> we just happen to have Sean Norris. Sean, I can't believe you dialed into our podcast to talk about live. Thanks. No, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'd ask you how you are, but I imagine you're pretty good at the moment. Yeah, no, all relaxed. Still in the States. I'm getting ready for the next event in Portland. Well, perhaps, uh, Sean, let's start with uh, reflections on the first live golf event you played in uh, in the UK a couple of weeks ago. And and what was your experience? I think we're going to get to some of the issues and some of the talking points around you know, live golf versus PGA versus DP World Tour and throw in Sunshine Tour. But perhaps tell us uh, what the first event was like and what your your experiences. They definitely came out with a bang. It was very exciting, uh, well run. The people... Uh, were very gracious and really took us in nicely, looked after us. It was a really fun week. The, the talk at the moment, Sean, is about uh, the, the, there's this impression that uh, a host of international golfers, whether you're a member of the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour, which today, as you speak to, has come out and issued bans to live golfers for the Scottish Open, for example. But uh, what are your thoughts on this whole notion that uh, those who are moving across to the Live Tour are, are perhaps abandoning the, the legacy or tradition side of, of the game in the form of these tours? I don't think the, the people are not trying to abandon the tours. They'd love to still play the tours. Uh, as for me, I'd love to still play DP tour events and things like that. But uh, it comes back down to, as independent sports people, I mean, we're not getting paid salaries by them to play in events and things like that. We still have to earn earn our way. Here's a tour that basically said they'll look after us and we can play events and we'll be able to play less events throughout the year to be able to spend more time at home. As a, a father of a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a three-month-old, 
I'd like to be able to be home more often and not be on planes all the time and travel as much as I do. Mm. And you say, well, pay good money and they pay your caddies as well. Yeah, they look after the caddies as well. They give them accommodation and they uh, sort out their travel uh, travel arrangements as well. I mean, is that, is that the central issue here? The, the, the notion that, 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 that golfers are independent contractors and should be able to play wherever they want to play and not have a situation where various tours are, are claiming ownership of the players themselves? Exactly. I mean, uh, like you said, uh, we, we are independent sportsmen. And I mean, if you want to play a tournament, uh, nobody should be able to stop you. Yes, you join as a member on a tour. But if if I was tied down and I couldn't play, say, my home tournament or things like that, I mean, it's very unfair of them to be able to stop you. Is it stating the obvious to say that vehemently disagree with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour in issuing bans and fines for those members uh, of theirs that are playing in live golf events? Yes, I do. I, I disagree with the way they they are doing things in England. So how do you feel today then, <laughs> knowing that you've got to fork out £100,000? <laughs> I'm sure you could afford it. No, you know, it's this is their way of maybe trying to threaten us by trying to leave the live tour or abandon them, if you want to call that, and get away from it and go back to DP uh, tour and things like that. But um, we've got people in place to sort this all out. Now, they're saying £100,000 fine to start off with, and then, you know, if you don't come back to the mothership, then those fines look set to increase. So, you know, they're drawing a line in the sand pretty clearly aren't they they're trying to i mean i've been i've been playing and traveling pretty much all my life and for the last i would say six seven years i've been playing mainly in japan and yes i've been trying to get into some dp events asking for invites and things like that and they've helped here and there but not always been able to give me the spots even with a good world ranking i want to touch on that sean because the story that i was fed is that prior to the stain city championship you actually did not have an invite to that event is that correct that that came in very late yes all the way through uh pekinwood the event i was still waiting for um the invite and i would have had to maybe do the monday qualifying just to secure my number of events for the sunshine tour and I mean, your world, your world ranking at the time, did you feel that it more than justified you getting an invite to that, that Stain City Championship? I do, as we've pretty much worked out, I was within the top five players that would have been playing at the event in the world. Well, that's incredible. I mean, and, 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 and history tells us that you went on and won the Stain City Championship and, and, and seemingly changed your circumstances literally overnight. But at one stage, you weren't even in that, that event, which speaks to your point about not getting the invites that perhaps uh, you deserved. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Japan has been my main tour for the last seven years and uh, rightfully so, I'll stay with playing in Japan as well. But I mean, DP is overnight decided that DP is my main tour, which is still not correct. I mean, I'll always go back to Japan. They've looked after me very well over the last seven years and I've really enjoyed it out there. uh, The courses are great and uh, the people have really taken me in. So, Sean, what do you say or think now of the fact that the PGA has since announced it's, it's looking at this the series of tournaments for the top 50, these guaranteed purses of $20 million or more? Do you think it's too little, too late? Um, yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, Liv did go to them and gave the proposals to them and to DP and those tours, and um, they weren't happy with it at, at that moment. Now they're trying to counter in their way. Mm. by trying to keep their players. But end of the day is 
it's every player's decision. So, I mean, like I said, you, you, you're rightfully not an owner of a player out here on tour. So a guy should be able to make his own decisions in which tournaments he'd like to play. So when did you start your conversation with Liv? And when did you make up your mind and go, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do? Well, it's been on our thoughts for a while now, as when Liv started coming out and things like that. But a big thing was the day I, in May, I turned uh, 40 this year. Happy birthday. And, <laughs> thanks. The naughty and, 40s. Uh, <laughs> the naughty 40s, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, having to do all these video calls with the kids back home and things like that, I started realizing, you know, I'd like to be home more. And this is a great opportunity for me. They're giving me things that, that'll make it a lot easier for me to not be, be having to play 40, 30 to 40 events a year and be out, be out away from home for 250 to 300 days. And Sean, am I right in saying as the, as the winner of the Sunshine Tour Order of Merit, you've been guaranteed entry into, into all eight live golf events? Yeah, they eventually approached me with uh, saying they'll, they'll give me all the starts this year. And uh, when they did, I agreed to join now, my maths is not the best as a sports journalist, but I have crunched a few numbers. It must feel comforting from a financial future point of view to know that worst case you can do is roughly 15 million rand from those eight events. If you've finished last in every event, and, and, and I would imagine, you know, obviously the number would be higher because I, I would assume you would... Well, he's, a, he's already not finished last. Exactly. So, so, so I mean, <laughs> but on a serious note, uh, the notion that you can re- secure your financial future just from those eight events bare minimum must give you some sense of comfort oh, no definitely i mean uh to be able to think about little things of saying uh, all things at home are paid off and uh to know that the kids will be looked after i can go home whenever i want to to if i want to see my boy play rugby for, for the first time things like that so yeah definitely it makes life a lot more comfortable and uh, a lot easier Sean, we're hearing astronomical sums being bandied about, but they're offering some of the top, top guys to come over just in terms of signing bonuses. I mean, you don't have to tell us, but I mean, was there a sign-on bonus for you? Uh, no, unfortunately not for me, but you know, at the end of the day, we're still playing for good money. Yeah. And uh, that's, I'm backing myself. Finished well in a few of them and all's all sorted. Okay, so let's go back to the first event. You were in Four Aces, which was captained by Dustin Johnson. Ollie Becker also there, along with Kevin Wan. Tell us about the experience. Tell us what it was like being captained by by Dustin Johnson and, you know, what the team vibe was like. Do you guys stay in the same place? Do you go out for dinner? Uh, what? How does it work? Geez, those team talks must have been exciting, eh? <laughs> no, no, it's definitely, it's such an uh, exciting thing. The news start to make it exciting, not just for us, but for the spectators. I mean, yes, we stayed in the same hotel, so breakfast and dinners, we could join each other. So... There's a little chat between the guys against teammates and things like that, and uh, which which was fun. I can promise you the guys were also keeping their eye out on the leaderboards for the teams. Uh, it really makes it so much more exciting for us out there. The guys were great. Uh, really enjoyed it. So tell us, what's Dustin Johnson like in person? No, he's a lovely guy. I've been fortunate enough to meet him a couple of years ago. I played a few practice rounds with him before. And uh, no, he's a lov- lovely laid back, very laid back guy. Who's longer off the tee? No, he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're no slouch. <laughs> but, but Sean, what, I mean, what's what, what's the chatter like? I mean, you, you were at the U- US Open last week, and there, obviously, you're having, you've got Liv 
golfers, you've got non-live golfers. What's the vibe on the tour like? Because, I mean, it's obviously a little bit of an us and them type thing and, you know, got very vocal players like Rory McIlroy coming out and calling colleagues duplicitous and, and, and having a go at those who, who've who've moved from the PGA Tour. What's the vibe like on tour? What was the US Open like and the chatter amongst the players? There was a little bit of chatter, yeah, and they, they asked um, how the tour was run and was it any good, things like that. But I pretty much try to avoid any controversy with anybody or anything like that. So I really didn't talk much about it. But the guys, I mean, they did ask about it, yeah, and they, you know, everybody's going to have their own opinion about it at the end of the day. Did you hate the chatter so much you decided to leave the US Open after two days? <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately i had a brick wall on the back line so <laughs> no 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 uh, the course was very good uh, it was a great setup and uh you really had to focus on where to place the ball and things like that and unfortunately with a, a double drop on the first and this uh triple on the second put me on the back foot and i had to really try and force myself to make birdies just to try and make the cut but unfortunately it didn't work out speaking of the majors obviously last week the US Open is there a concern amongst uh, those of you that that have moved to live golf that perhaps there might be majors in the future that you might not be able to play whether it's you know through bands or, or those majors changing the the qualification systems it might be they they are speaking about it in ways but end of the day I think the way they should handle it. If you got world ranking points and you qualify via world ranking, they should allow you to play. But but fair to say, should you know the unlikely situation come where you cannot play another major tournament ever again, uh, versus obviously wrapping up your financial future, you would take it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm also getting to that point where you know you watch the guys coming out now. They are so good. They are starting at a younger age. They're hitting ball an absolute mile. You know, to try in majors, you don't want to just play majors because you want to make the cut. You actually want to try and compete. That's the main thing. At the end of the day, you want to win tournaments. So, um, you know, I had to make a decision. If that comes down to that, and they don't want me to play majors again. That's it. So be it. And where do you think this leaves tournaments like the Ryder Cup and President's Cup? Uh, this is going to be an interesting one coming coming end of this year with the President's Cup coming up and Ryder Cup being next year. So to see what what's going to happen is going to be interesting because the US will be losing some of their top players in Brooks and Dustin, who've always been there to play for them. Okay, let's go back again because, you know, we're talking all the speculation about Liv and the controversy surrounding that, but let's not forget that four South Africans won the first bloody tournament. I mean, (laughs) have they sobered up yet? Uh, I don't know. Either that or they buy trying to buy an island somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, when you convert it to rands, I mean, it's in dollars, it's amazing. When you convert it to rands, it's just like, it's just next level. I mean, Henny Duplessis probably doesn't know what to do with himself. No, it's astronomical. It's uh, yeah, and, and I'm so happy for the boy. He's been playing such good golf this for the last two years, and really now it's for him. It's great, and I'm really pleased for all the boys. I mean, we we always sat together for dinner. We always sat together for breakfast. It's so nice to actually have the boys there and all sat sat down and speak Afrikaans to each other. <laughs> yeah, Sean Patrick Norris, but uh, you are Afrikaans, right? <laughs> My dad was British. My mom was Udamese. Ah, you see, it's the mother. Yeah, you see, so my mom. But I mean, Sean, it, it's sitting here. It certainly seemed like a no-brainer for the South Africans once you you convert to Rands. And I mean, no surprise that there were nine South Africans in that first field because 
regardless of whether you think the likes of your Louis Oosthuizen and your Charles Schwartzels or Brandon Graces have made a lot of money out of golf already, the numbers, uh, like I said, once you convert to rands, are perhaps just too good to pass up. And, and there are South African golfers now who are materially changing their lives overnight. No, for sure. I mean, what a lot of people don't understand uh, from the start, the, you know, professional golfer doesn't mean you automatically get money in your pocket. End of the day, you're still paying for your flights, you're still paying for your own accommodation, you're still paying for visas, and then you get to the event, you still have to make the cut before you actually start earning money. So from a South African point of view, it just makes, I mean, the numbers just look so inviting and so good for us. And that's why I think a lot of guys are doing this is because... It does make life a lot easier for us, not having to spend the pounds and dollars when you go overseas. Yeah. And, I mean, you compare it to South Africa, it's ridiculous what yeah. you're paying per week just for food and accommodation. In your opinion, have the South African golfers been treated, and it speaks to the point we talked about earlier, have been treated well enough by the DP World Tour from an invite to events point of view up to now? No, I don't think so. Um, unfortunately, nothing against them, but they've not offered to pay for flights or accommodations and things like that. You go all over the world uh, to try and get to these events, but they you got to do it from your own pocket. Is there concern amongst the players that Liv isn't going to survive? Uh, no, actually not. I mean, the guys against the Liv are all saying things that like that. That it can't last, the concerts, other people are going to bring in money and things like that. But I mean, you're talking to some of the richest people in the world where they they own oil companies and they got investments and they're going to try and grow this into something bigger and better. I mean, I've had a friend tell me about a guy who changed the life of cricket back in the 1970s by the name of, I think it was Kerry Packer. Kerry Packer, yeah. Packer, uh, yeah. Old series cricket, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, he did the same thing. He, he tried to do something different for cricket. And where are we standing today? Cricket has evolved. Cricket uh, definitely followed in his footsteps. It's made it more exciting. I mean, it's gone from five days to one days to 50s to... T20s, I mean... I see they want to do T10s now. T20s are getting too long. They want to do 10 overs now. But yeah, we we take your point. You're you're trying to make it exciting for the spectator. I mean, people are... Everything's coming down to... You don't want to sit in an arena for six, seven, eight hours anymore. You don't want to be on the golf course for eight hours, 10 hours anymore. If they're trying to find a way to do it, uh, you know what? I'm thinking I'm all for that. I just want your opinion on the way this whole thing was handled. And I don't know if it was handled from Liv's side or whether you were briefed as players. But when there were, there were those press conferences and we've all seen the footage doing the round of the guys getting asked these awkward questions about are they prepared to play for, for dirty money? Would they play on Putin's tour or in apartheid South Africa? Do you think that, you know, the player should have just come out and said exactly what you've said? I'm a free agent. I have a limited time to make money and good income. I am here for the money. You know... If I offer you a job where you're going to triple, quadruple your yearly income, are you, are you going to take it or not? I mean, end of the day, it's always a business. I mean, you always, when you're looking after yourself and your family. So nobody asks normally where the money comes from. If, you're, if your boss is, you don't know sometimes who your boss is. Mm. Um, so, you know, I feel all the world, the whole world's got ties into Saudi money via oil or via this or via, or via that. So so if you want to say it's dirty money, then you've got to go back and look at all kinds of sports and all kinds of people and all kinds of uh, countries that actually 
asked for assistance from the Saudis. Sean, has there been any word from the from the Sunshine Tour? Have you had any contact with them to, to, to get a sense of, you know, I think they've kept their powder dry and, and waiting to see what their strategic partner, the DP World Tour, was going to say, which we finally heard something from the DP World Tour today. But any communication with the Sunshine Tour? No, no, uh, I haven't really spoken to anybody yet. And, uh, yeah, like I've, uh, like I've said, I've actually been away from home for the last four weeks, so I haven't been able to chat to anybody. So as you mentioned at the beginning of the chat, you're about to head over to Portland for the second event. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, what, what can we expect? What do you know about the course? I just heard the course is in phenomenal condition. Uh, so looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I heard some exciting things, uh, the way they want to start up the shotguns and things like that. So it's, it's going to be awesome from what I heard and uh, really looking forward to it. Well, let me pick up on that point, Sean, and, and ask you if, you, if we took a normal week and, and you compared your live golf experience in the UK a few weeks ago, literally from start to finish, I mean, you mentioned obviously something like the, the, the caddies being being paid. Just give us some sense of how different the live golf experience is from the time you arrive in the, the city of the tournament. What did you experience that was different from what you'd experience perhaps at a normal PGA Tour or even a major? Well, you, you know, we they've booked us flights to wherever we needed to go. Arrived in London, shuttles were waiting for us, took us to the hotel. Checking into the hotel was already sorted before we even walked in, basically just went straight to the room. And from the word go, I mean, they had everything organized. Dinners, breakfasts were sorted for us whenever we needed, wanted to go down. Uh, shuttles were always waiting for us to go take us to the course. I mean, the vibe at the course was phenomenal. Everybody was helpful on top of things and, uh, you know, just a well-run week. And the, the, the format change, obviously no cut, shotgun start, slightly different, but nothing too different from what you might experience in a in a boozy golf day back in South Africa. And three rounds. Yeah, no, we, we were making jokes about it, saying we don't know what to do in the fourth round anymore. <laughs> uh, normal tournaments, we're going to be too tired. <laughs> <laughs> um. We've seen this week, we've seen some other big names joining. Brooks Kepka is coming along, Patrick Reed, Abraham Anser. Do you think that as these guys see the kind of money that you're making and, you know, you're not playing as much golf, that despite what they might be saying and their commitment to the DP World Tour and to the PGA Tour, that you're going to see more guys jumping ship, that it's just inevitable? Uh, I do. Uh, the way things are run, I mean, like I said, people, I think people want to spend more time at home. People mm-hmm. want to get back to their families and having to be out on the road all the time to sustain the lifestyle they, that we want and we like is it's not always fun. It's not always glamorous. So if there's an easy way to do it, Live to is giving it to us, then I think the guys will do it. But I mean, if you see enough big top 20 names coming across, all of a sudden I think you've got problems in terms of keeping guys out of majors because they want the best field possible. The guys want to compete against the best players in the world. So it's going to make things very, very difficult. Oh, I'm sure. It's definitely going to make it a lot harder at the end of the day, depending on how they treat and handle the situation. I mean, it's not just on majors and things like that. It's normal events as well, because I think the sponsors, main sponsors of events would like to have a lot of these players in their events as well. And... From a South African perspective, your commitment to tournaments at home, I know I hear via via that Charles Swartzel having won what he won, is like, well, great, you know, I don't have to play overseas as much anymore. I can come back home and, and play a couple of tournaments here. Are you thinking along the same lines? 
Definitely. Definitely. If I can be home, I'll be playing a lot more tournaments back home because, uh, like I said, the end of the day is for us to travel. We have to travel to try and earn good money. It's quite hard to make, sustain a, li- a full life in South Africa only playing on the Sunshine Tour. Well, ironically then, uh, Sean, we, what we could see as a byproduct of, uh, of the emergence of the Live Golf Tour is more of South Africa's big names coming back and playing the biggest tournaments in this country, such as the South African Open. Yep. I do think so, yes. And I think the guys will actually start going back and spending more time there because they don't need to be away. And uh, it's not conflicting with any other tours where you have to get a release form to say that I'd like to play in the Sunshine SA Open and things like that. Well, Sean, thank you. It's been great getting a real insider's perspective into what's happening on the Lift Tour at the moment. Personally, I think it's it's quite unfair to, to vilify the players. They've made these guys out to be... To be villains when reality, as he says, yeah. yeah, it's just we're guns for hire. We need to make a living, and we go where the money is. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's life, and that's human human nature. We're all going to try and find the best and easiest way to try and uh, look after ourselves and our families. So, yeah. Well, all the best for the second Live Golf event. And yeah, yeah listen, you got to do much better than what was it? Twenty second. Twenty second, man. You only won one hundred and seventy thousand dollars, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. No, thanks, guys. Well do. Up your game, man. Uh, Sean, wishing you well. Thank you very much for your time and, and, and all the best for the future. I oh, appreciate it, guys. Thanks. A short but sweet episode of The Long and the Short of It today. But yeah, uh, a very, very contentious issue. It's split the world of golf in two. And let's just say, to quote the cliche, We've only just begun. Yeah, no doubt more on the Live Golf issue and plenty more to come on this podcast, Simon. That episode of the Long and the Short of It brought to you by the Blair Athol Golf and Equestrian Estate. For access to an unparalleled living experience, visit blairathol.coza and make an appointment to take the first steps in realizing your dream home. Blair Athol offers the ultimate and secure luxury estate living where lifestyle is a priority. A world-class championship golf course, outstanding equestrian facilities, mountain bike and running trails, diverse wildlife, helipads, tennis and squash courts, a high-tech fitness center, spa and restaurant facilities. On top of that, it's their perfect environment in which to raise a family with easy access to nearby schools and close proximity to the planned Lanceria Smart City. So why not visit BlairAthol.coza and take those first steps. Come home to Blair Athol, an unparalleled living experience. There it is, a win for the ages. The long and short of it. Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'd ask our friends, except we don't have any. So please like and rate this podcast. Until next time.